0: I don't know how many of you may have had the opportunity that some of us have, but growing up, I remember as a little uh, child singing and then later on leading this little song that we learned many, many years ago as kids, written by Elsie Leslie, and uh, if you know it, what I want you to do, have we got that uh, song queued up? Can we we start it in just a moment? If you know it, stand up and sing along. Uh, Sing with me. And I dare you to do the motions or the actions, Okay? Who cares who laughs? Who cares who doesn't know it? If you know it, you're a very special person. So let's sing it together. We'll see it here. Yes, was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he really little. He He climbed climbed up in in the the sycamore sycamore tree, for the Lord he He wanted wanted to to see. Hello. And (laughs) as the Savior passed that way, he He looked up in the the tree. And he said, said, yes, yes, you come down. For I'm going to to your house today. today. Yes, I'm going to to your house today. (laughs) Great job. Wow. Or as one little guy said in one of our groups many years ago, for I'm going to your house for tea. (laughs) I don't know they had tea, but I'm sure they had a great time. I had some interesting ideas for a title to put on this message uh, today. At first I was going to call it Little Man Meets Big God. And I I scrapped that idea and said I'm going to call it Out on a Limb. And did away with that one and said, a crook crook feeds Christ. That would have fit. Another one that I really like, he knows my name. Or face to face with Jesus. So here's what I settled on as a title for today's message. A wee little man. Now, I have to begin my remarks today by explaining to you some stuff. First off, Jesus was often in the company of notorious sinners, people who had a really rough track record. If you went back to Luke 15, just a few chapters, and read the first couple of verses, you would read verse, uh, words like, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was traveling at this particular juncture when we open Luke 19, and when you read, if you go back to chapter 18, he's traveling somewhere near the border of, um, of uh, uh, Samaria and Galilee, which is, I have a map to put up, and it, which is a little bit, uh, go to the very top, Uh, in your mind, go to the very top of that map, and then go up a little bit further. And that would be the border uh, between Samaria and Galilee. And he's moving down towards Jerusalem. See Jerusalem Uh, on the... uh, uh, My eyes are playing tricks. On the left-hand side here, the one that's marked... Okay, and then the other one that's marked is Jericho, okay? And the point I want to make, and the reason I want to put the map up, was he's traveling between that border of Samaria and Galilee, and he's coming down towards Jerusalem. And I want to make this point very, very clear. He did not have to go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Very important point. It wasn't even directly on the way to Jerusalem. However, he went through Jericho, according to the biblical record, for the sake of two people. And one of them was this man named Zacchaeus. I'll let you read chapter 18 and figure out who the other person was. Jesus would often go out of his way to be with certain people. Let's stop there for a minute. And how often do we do that? So the message today, since we started off in kind of a veggie tale, Sesame Street mode, The message today is brought to you by the letter M and the number five. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be here today to hear it and to study it and to learn more of your grace and your goodness towards us. Thank you for each one gathered here. Thank you for every hope and dream and aspiration that's represented. Thank you for each one of us coming today to get more and to glean more of your word so that we might be strengthened in the inner man. And we just ask now that your Holy Spirit will have his way, have his way in every heart, in every mind, in every life here and that your will be done to your honor and glory, for we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. So the first M that we hit this morning is the man. <clears throat> and I want us to read, uh, and you're going to have to help me because I'm having some eyesight issues and I'm not always able to transition here. I want us to read verses 1 through 4. Of Luke 19. So we can put that on the screen immediately. That would be great. And if you'll help me read, that'd even be better. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, he's just passing through. He doesn't have to go to Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let's just stop there for a moment. I just want you to drink in the, the words. This is more than a narrative. Every word in these verses is is just full of meaning. All right, next verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So we see the man... A man named, help me, Zacchaeus. Here's two, here are two things that we know about Zacchaeus. Number one, he was Jewish. We know that by his name. And later he references Abraham, his father. In other words, he's part of the lineage. Secondly, he did not live up to his name, which means pure. Now, here, just, to be, just to get him off the hook a little bit, no one could live up to that name. So I hope that's not in your name anywhere. Your parents didn't give you that like as your middle name because nobody could live up to that. But in Zacchaeus' case, it was worse than that. He was exactly the opposite of pure. Now we can imagine his parents at his birth looking at him and saying, oh, what a pure sight. You look at that that little fresh life and and you think, oh, pure. And you mean pure in the sense of innocent and just, just... You know, just plain right. So they gave him the name of pure. Translated to us, Zacchaeus. However, Zacchaeus became a disgrace to his parents and a disgrace to his own people, the nation of Israel. You read here just a moment ago in verse 2 that he was a chief tax collector. I'll give you a little background here. A tax collector in Jesus' day was a traitor. Pure and simple. You see, the tax system in that day worked something like this. The Romans would have native Jews to be tax collectors, and the Romans would require each tax collector to pay them a certain amount. The Romans didn't pay the tax collectors. The tax collectors paid them for the right, you getting this, to take and tax the people in the name of Rome. And each tax collector paid... Uh, for a certain section uh, of the country to tax. And they would, they would just charge what the Romans wanted, and then they would add on a little bit more because they needed their take, right? I know this is sounding more like the IRS all the time, but this, it isn't. It's just a forerunner to the IRS. And this system was effective because everyone was taxed, but it was so full of fraud. It was so full of deceit. And as a matter of fact, the whole thing, if you look at it very carefully, was based on fraud. The only way it kept going was because of the fraudulent nature of the thing. If someone thought the tax was too high, too bad. Sort of like today. If they didn't pay what the tax collector asked, then they ended up in jail. Now, Zacchaeus was really good at his job because he wasn't just a tax collector. What does the Bible say? He was a chief tax collector. What does that mean? Well, in the mafia, he'd be called godfather. No. And in the drug world, he'd be called kingpin. He was the chief tax collector. He was the big kahuna over all of the others in that region. He could just say, you owe me X number of dollars, and that's your tax, and there's no recourse. Also in verse 2, it says he was wealthy. Another version says he was rich. I guess they mean the same thing, don't they? The only reason that someone would become a tax collector was because they had a great love for money. Just There's no other reason. Number one, you're going to be hated by your fellow countrymen. You're probably your life's going to be in danger most of the time. Your own family's going to disown you. Um, but if you have a love for money that outsources or outpaces everything else, you're probably suited to be a tax collector. So we see Zacchaeus had this love for money. He loved money better than he loved his own nation. He loved money better than he loved the respect of his own city. He loved money better than he loved his own soul. He loved money better than he loved God, his own God. You see, the man was wealthy. And this is a different scenario than most of these meetings that we see Jesus having here in the New Testament. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He didn't seem to have any obvious needs. He had no physical ailments. He wasn't suffering from anything. He had access to power. And it would appear that he had his own own group of friends people that surrounded him and got favors from him all the time. Still in verse 3, he wanted, and this is an interesting part of the first four verses, or he sought to see, he, the Bible doesn't say he sought to see Jesus. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. A world of difference. What am I saying? He was very curious about Jesus. He'd heard a lot of the stories and the news accounts already, and curiosity killed the cat. But if Zacchaeus hadn't been curious, he wouldn't have bothered to go and see who this man Jesus was. But deeper than that, I believe that Zacchaeus was restless. I believe he was disappointed in life even though it looked like he had it made. He had set out to get money and he succeeded. But he found that money didn't have the power to satisfy the longings of the soul or to heal the human heart. Maybe he heard the stories about this Jesus that he spent time with tax collectors and that piqued his interest. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he heard the story about the tax collector who was once called Levi and, and, and he was later named Matthew after he met Jesus, and now he's one of Jesus' disciples, and he's following him around, and he's learning of Jesus, and he's standing for Jesus. Maybe he heard about Levi. Matthew, th- in verse 3 again, Zacchaeus is frustrated. He wants to see who this Jesus is, and he didn't get a good seat. Not that he couldn't afford one, but I imagine when big crowds gathered, he didn't want to be in the middle of them anyway. And the crowd made sure that he didn't see, because they were never kind to him. Because Zacchaeus was a wee little man, not just in stature. The King James Version says he was little of stature. I think he was little of stature outside and inside. So what did he do? Well, some of you, wow, you sang it so nicely If at first, verse 4 says, you don't succeed, try, try again, right? So Zacchaeus was not above doing something that a child would do. I think it's safe to say that Zacchaeus was childlike in his curiosity. Back just the chapter in Luke 18, verse 17, you read these words, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So first we see verses 1 through 4, the man. Now let's move to verses 5 through 8. And we see a little bit, or we talk about the meal. Let's read it. Okay, let's read. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, So he came down at once. Hmm. All the people saw this. Keep going, you're doing great. Something's happening, don't you think? Jesus came to the place, looked up, and saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was out of the way, and I think he probably wanted to stay out of the way. There's an old saying that goes like this, a man chases a woman until she catches him. A little faster, we'll get home for lunch. When it comes comes to God, God chases us until he catches us. Romans 3.11 says, there is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. And I'll explain. God always takes the first step. And God took the first step here in that he, he sent his only begotten son to this earth. That's step one for all of us. Jesus is taking the first step again in this story. It looks like Zacchaeus is just chasing after God, and you got to find out who this Jesus really is. And so he's, go- but this is not exactly what's happening. Really, what's happening? Jesus is chasing after Zacchaeus. Jesus is in Jericho. He didn't need to be in Jericho. He's heading to Jerusalem. Come down, he said. Jesus calls him how? By name. Yeah, if you haven't already underlined or circled that in your Bible, if you can, do so. Zacchaeus was an embarrassment to everybody he was associated with. Not a subject of conversation at every table. Jesus calls them how? By name. Could I ask you to put this in your notes? Jesus Christ knows your name So what does he say to him? Come down. Today, I must stay at your house. I want to point out something else that's uh, very different in this story. This is the only place in Scripture where you find Jesus inviting himself to someone's house. Jesus is chasing Zacchaeus, and he's going to catch him, even if it means catching him in his own house. Zacchaeus, you don't know it, but you're a trapped animal right now. To go into somebody's house is to accept them. It's to take a step to be comfortable with each other. When you eat a meal and you enjoy each other's company in our own homes, and you do it with friends and people that you're trying to make an impact on, or just people that you like to be with, that's a step of hospitality and friendship. And Jesus seems very comfortable in Zacchaeus' home. And I wonder, is Jesus comfortable... In your home. You know, sometimes that's all it takes is just step out of your comfort zone and invite somebody to be a friend, invite someone to do something with you, invite someone to go somewhere with you, invite someone into your home for tea. (laughs) Sometimes it's just that easy. Many times just being a friend to others is a far greater witness than answering all their questions or trying to overcome all their objections. And I'll tell you why, because when you get to the point where you think you've answered all the questions, or at least you've heard them all, the next time you're together, there'll be a hundred more questions. If we are friends with them, many of the things that were big items will disappear over time. So, we're not told about the meal. We don't need to know the details of that. I can say this of assurance, knowing what we know about that culture, that a meal would be customary. If somebody comes into your home, they're going to have a meal. And we also know from the story of the tax collector Matthew that Matthew had a meal with Jesus. You go back to Matthew chapter 9, read verses 9 and 10, and you can see that sweet story. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And that little journey ended up with Matthew inviting him in. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and with his disciples. You know, it was going to be Matthew and his newfound friend Jesus. And the next thing you know, it was a house full of people. That scares you, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, Zacchaeus takes Jesus home. Verse 6 Zacchaeus could have refused, but he responded to Jesus. Did you catch the adverb? How did he respond to him? Did you catch the word? What's it? Yeah, and then there's another one. I think it's the last word in the verse. I don't think you'll get it by looking at me. You have to go look down and see. Gladly. Gladly. Also translate it, joyfully, he responds. Another version says he welcomed him gladly. You know what, I don't think they stayed around that crowd very long. I think they got out of there. And verse 8 says Zacchaeus stood. I love that word, it says Zacchaeus stood. Because in a crowd like that, a little fellow, how would you know if he's standing or not? But the Holy Spirit leaves that in the Scripture so that we get that. Here's a man who's already willing to stand for the Lord Jesus. And in verse 9, we, we will read that he, Jesus said that salvation has come, and it's come to his house. That's a very, very, very sweet verse. And uh, another sweet verse is John 14 and 23. Which says... Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father, listen to this, will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Precious verse of scripture. While they're on the way to his house, or maybe while they're in the house, I don't know, what's going on outside? The complainers, the murmurers, the Pharisees, the muttering crowd... And you know, as I read verse 7 and I, and I meet those people and I want to I get physical, but, but let's be honest here for a minute. We can sort of understand their reaction. I mean, wouldn't we react much the same way if we saw what was happening, if we saw that happen right in front of us and didn't know why or didn't know what was about to take place? And then in verse 8, we have the discussion. Now, we don't know what Zacchaeus and Jesus talked about. I think money might have come up at one point or another. But I know that Jesus was more, impo- more interested in things other than money, like heart issues. Maybe money came up, and maybe the use of things came up. But Jesus went deeper than money. As he always does. And then the confession of verse 8. Uh, it reminds me of James 5, 16. I think we have that as a reference. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we have the man and we have the meal and whatever that consisted of, we don't know all the details. But then in verse 8, we also read the money. Can we throw verse 8 up there again? Or do you have it right there? Thank you, guys. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now that's pretty significant. A teacher of the word was teaching one day, and a couple of students interrupted the teaching and said, Sir, when, when should a man repent? When should a man get his heart right? And the teacher very wisely said, repent on the last day of your life. And the student said, but we don't know when that will be. The teacher said, then repent today. Get it right with God today. So here we see a demonstration of repentance. He says, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. This is so interesting, isn't it? Because up to now... Zacchaeus didn't care about the poor. As a matter of fact, he spent a lot of his life making people poor. Yeah, and capitalizing on that over and over and over again. In Proverbs 14 31, we read these words He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This is in contrast, and I'd like to contrast this story to the story of the rich young ruler. And maybe you're familiar with that. I hope maybe you are. He went away after that long conversation with Jesus and the whole talk about money and the use of material possessions. And he went away, the Bible says, one, one version says, and he was very sad. Another version says he went away and it was night. Because well, whenever you walk away from a relationship with Jesus, it's a sad moment and it's nighttime of the soul. This young ruler was very rich, but so was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus now is willing to part with a good portion of his money. We see restitution. Restitution is an admission of wrong and a willingness to try to make it right. And the word I like the best in that last verse we read is if, if, There's no if to it. If I have wronged anybody, if I have taken something that doesn't belong to me, if I have stolen, cheated, and defrauded people by false pretense, if I have gained my riches in an unseemly way, and if I have cheated, I love these words, anybody of anything. No, he had cheated everybody of everything and and isn't this the way sometimes that we confess well if I well I suppose it's my fo- I said su- if I have done this or that or so on and then he says but I will restore four times the amount the decision of Christ to stay at a house oh that house of Zacchaeus or our houses That has the force to free us from our most entrenched bad habits. If Jesus stays around long enough, things are going to rumble. Habits are going to change. People's lives are going to be turned upside down. So the key to this tax collector's salvation is what? Relationship. Relationship with the Lord relationship with the people around him whom he's harmed, and there are many of them. And to restore his relationship with those around him, he has to promise to stop cheating. He has to promise to stop his lying ways and to make things right. And that sounds trite, but with a man who has spent his whole adult life doing this, that's not going to be an easy road. When Christ comes into a life, there will be a desire to make things right for past wrongs. I repeat, when Christ comes into a life, there will be a desire to make things right for past wrongs. Some people think, well, no, we just recognize it and then try to do better. Love story says, love means never having to say you're sorry. What a crock that is. Marriages are severely damaged by an unwillingness to admit wrong. And so are a host of other relationships, by the way, not just marriage, either personal or professional, or even within the context of a church. And one of the most painful things we can do in a relationship is to commit a wrong and then pretend it never happened or it didn't do any damage at all. Some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate, and I'm going to repeat this. One of the most painful things we can do in a relationship of any kind is to commit a wrong and to pretend it never happened or it really didn't do any damage at all. Admitting wrong, hear me people, asking for forgiveness And trying, as much as humanly possible, to make restitution are essential for a fresh start and a new road of life. And a bonus, making restitution will give you opportunity to witness to those who knew you before you met Christ and before you got your heart straight with Him. So the money, looks like it's going to be distributed differently now. Looks like things are really changing This man's heart was moved, and as soon as it was, the pocketbook was moved. And the life was changed. And a whole lot of people are going to see a difference. And the testimony for Jesus is going to spread far and wide. Number four, the means. The means here of what? Of escape. In verse 9 reads... Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. You know what I believe? I believe that everybody in that family and everybody in that household came to know Christ because of the change in Zacchaeus. And that's not unusual when you read other gospel accounts of people who, who, were, who were gloriously saved and, and, and their whole lives were changed and so was their household. Today's salvation has come to this house. Was this said because Zacchaeus uh, decided he was going to give up his cheating? Or was it something more that was going on? According to this, we can give to the poor and stop our lying and cheating ways and, 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 and then we can gain heaven. We're saved by our good works, I guess, and our good deeds, and righteous living. If that's the case, then we don't need Christ. But the Bible tells us something different. That we are saved, Ephesians 2, by grace, through faith, for good works. We're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ and His grace, not by our good deeds. If we don't have good works, then we have every right to question whether we really are saved. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, is a son of Abraham, no doubt. Zacchaeus followed Abraham's example of faith as clearly taught in James chapter 2. Along with this message, if you'd read the second chapter of James, oh, it'll help you so much. But I'm just picking out one verse in in verse 22 of James 2. He says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Friends, we do not repent of sin and do good deeds to earn heaven. We repent of sins and do good deeds because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We need a faith that works, in other words. It works against sin. It works against death. It works against hell itself. And it also works not just against all those things, but it works for and towards good deeds. We also need to remember that Jesus is in this story, and this is very pertinent to the story, hasn't gone to the cross yet. He will soon, but not yet. So on this side, the resurrection side of the cross, here's what we need to do. And it's incumbent on us to do it if we're going to be right with God. Number one, we need to believe. Nobody can believe for you. Number two, we need to repent. That was clearly demonstrated by Zacchaeus. Number three, we need to confess, again demonstrated by our friend, with a good confession. It's what I call the coming clean confession. Like this is it, that was then, this is now, moving on. That's a clean confession. And we need to live a life of surrender to Jesus every day. The means, the means of escape, salvation. And number five, let's read verse 10 together. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. So there we meet the Messiah. I'm going to read a quote to you from Alexander McLaren. McLaren writes, A church which does not address itself to the outcasts of society has no business to live. And that Christian people, who are too proud of their righteousness to go amongst the unclean and the degraded, are a great deal more of Pharisees than Christians. End of quote. You see, When you get to the bottom of this story, you realize something was missing in this wee little man. And the need of Zacchaeus, the great need, was in his heart. It wasn't in his bank account. Even though he was living in line with the rest of his peers, and he had already already kept up with the Joneses, so to speak, he knew something was amiss. He knew something was a void in his life. And he did something very, very smart. He listened to his heart. How many people today ignore that little voice, ignore their inner heart, ignore what God is saying through the still, small voice? And when we ignore our heart's cry, we do it to our own harm. When our hearts are crying out for us to do right, and to be good, and to follow God, and to stay in line, we do that to our own harm. What to do if your heart is crying out for help? Let me give you some pointers. Do like Zacchaeus and put yourself in position to see Jesus. There's so much in the story of Zacchaeus that's never told, never taught. And boy, the stuff that's not taught is so important. He says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he couldn't because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him for he's about to pass that way. What did Zacchaeus really do then? He took the first step. Don't put the burden of proof on someone else. And don't put the burden of proof on God. No one else can show you Jesus. The vision of him is sought through personal hunger and pursuit. Now, you may see Christ like character and characteristics in some of his followers, and I hope you do, but that isn't sufficient. You need to go after the real thing that's him. Zacchaeus didn't go out that day in downtown Jericho to see the crowd. He went with one purpose. He was singular in mind on why he went out. To see who this Jesus was. If you want to see Jesus, you want to come face to face with God, you have to move in a position. You have to show hunger and desperation. And you have to keep at it. and, And I mean, don't stop. Even after you just have had a glimpse, do not be distracted. Don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let anything stop you. Zacchaeus does something that just invited others to actually laugh at him. Look at that guy. He's always making a fool of himself, and he's a fool anyway. Now look what he's doing. He accentuates his weakness his smallness of stature, just to see Jesus. And guess what? It actually got Jesus' attention. Jesus always has time for the lost and seeking. I'm glad. Verse 10 said what? For the Son of Man came to seek... And to save the lost. See, light, uh, lost souls are lightning rods for the grace of God. Jesus is approaching his final week. Let's go back and put this into historical context. Jesus is approaching his final week. Safe to say he had a few pressures coming to bear. He knew what the final week meant. He knew he had a few deadlines to meet. And he knew how that week was going to end. This is his last journey, by the way, to Jerusalem. This is his last ascent up to the holy city. It began on the eastern side of the Jordan, and after crossing the river, he entered Jericho. And after that, he ascended the mountain to Bethany and on into Jerusalem, and there he was crucified. But even on this trip, the lost, the desperate, the hungry, the crying, the hurting got his attention. Jesus knows you by name. You say, "Man, I'm up the crick." Well, Zacchaeus was up a tree, and Jesus knew exactly where He was, and Jesus knows exactly where you are, and Jesus knew him by name, and Jesus knows you by name. And Jesus looked up, he didn't see a crooked tax collector. He saw a man, and he knew his name, and he knew what it meant, but he saw a man who could become pure. He saw a man who, if his heart was right, would match his name. He saw a man who could be so generous, now he's going to give half of his money away. Jesus is willing to reach out his hand in friendship to this man who by all means is despised by most everybody in that city. Why? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. The man who was bound with greed, now becoming generous. The man who's willing to lie and cheat, now turns to honesty. The wee little man became the mighty big man for God. You know, we have a ministry here that stands for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater thrill or joy for us than to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And a lot of people around our region know who we are. Many know where we are. And many know even what we stand for. But still there may be those people, and no doubt there are, who don't want anything to do with this ministry. But you know what? They desperately need it. I think of Zacchaeus when I think of those people. Zacchaeus was like the little boy who got separated from his parents uh, in a very large shopping center. And isn't that the worst fear of almost any parent? Well, security quickly located the child. They figured out what happened. They took him into an office while the frantic parents were just going crazy until they were paged over the public address system. One of the security guards got a large ice cream cone for the boy. So if you really want an ice cream, kids, um, no. So when... So when his parents arrived at the office, there he was, sitting there, just as big as life, happily eating his ice cream. Suddenly, as his parents come over to embrace him with tears in their eyes, the little fella bursts into tears. And there's nothing worse than tears on your ice cream. (laughs) And one of the security guards standing there said this. Listen to this very carefully. He said, man... I guess he didn't know he was lost until he was found. So, my dear friends, I beg of you, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. That's not indigestion. Listen to that still, small voice speaking to you. saying, let the Holy Spirit have His way in your life so you can do and you can be what God wants you to do and be. So listen to your heart. Pursue God and then by His grace receive from God. The man, the meal, the money, the means, the Messiah. One, two, three, four, and five. A huge message from a wee little man. Let's take a couple of minutes, can we? And just be quiet before the Lord, and then I'll... I'll bring us to a close in prayer. So let's just have quiet time now as we reflect and as we listen to God and as we make our decisions as to what we're going to do with what God's challenged us with. Platform team is going to come now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it seems like that which is most familiar sometimes it becomes that which we can just keep plumbing the depths and keep going down deeper and broader and learn more and more and more. Case in point, Heavenly Father, this story of Zacchaeus, it would seem like a simple little story. It would seem like a child's story. No wonder it's so popular amongst children. And yet there's so many hidden messages in there for us. He knew him. He called him by name. He received him gladly. He came to his house. Salvation came to that house and family. We see complete turnaround. We see the Holy Spirit convicting in a powerful way. And we see the Savior in in some of his greatest work here on earth. Just, Just doing wonderful things by relationship, by listening. Not by judging, not by condemning, not by throwing somebody out but by picking them up and giving meaning to their name and meaning to their life. Lord, we're here today, not by accident. We're here by divine appointment. We know that. And every one of us has a reason and a purpose to be here. So whatever it is that's going on in the human hearts, we pray that you will come in and reside and fellowship with each person meet every need, and strengthen us as a body, saving those that you would save because you've come to seek and save the lost, the seeking, the hungry, the hurt, those that are wandering, those that are wondering, those that are just not sure of any of it. Help them to have that assurance and help them to see very clearly their path now as they follow Jesus. We're just so thankful for the quiet moment when we can reflect on your word and give you glory for it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.